You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Welcome again to City Church. My name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see all of you. And I'm glad that you can see us uh, telling stories that are real about the ups and downs of life and uh, celebrating together the news of children being adopted and uh, crying tears. It's, it's what we do as a family. And um, it, it's great to feel the freedom to do that with one another every Sunday. So, uh, Italian beef is having a little bit of a moment right now. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. Italian beef is a type of sandwich with thinly sliced roast beef and then uh, kind of a pickled jardinera sauce on top and it's often dipped or sometimes even double dipped in au jus. Italian beef. It's having a moment because of the show called The Bear, which is an FX show. You can find it on Hulu. And my wife and I recently watched it. I loved it, she tolerated it. I think one of the reasons I liked it so much is it it tells the story of a Italian beef restaurant in Chicago. And it's gritty and it's stressful and anxiety inducing. And for those of us who spent time working in restaurants, it felt very true to life. All through grad school, I worked in a restaurant, and I, I kind of know what, what that vibe is like. I still remember one of my first days on the job uh, in, at this restaurant. I was a server, and the kitchen staff likes to have fun with servers, especially new servers. And they asked me to go uh, find a manager and bring them the keys to the parking lot. And so I ran off, very excited to do this, and then I realized that they were just teasing me keys to the parking lot, right? There are no keys to the parking lot. Um, But another reason I really like The Bear, it wasn't just the sort of the gritty kitchen vibe. The the reason I like this show is because of the way it captures uh, so much of what is true about our, our experience of modern work. The stress, the anxiety, and even the meaninglessness of work. And again, it's a, it's a stressful TV show. See, this is a, a, a pastor recommendation for a TV show that has to have a qualifier because it's got a lot of really bad language in it. This is not like a recommendation to go watch The Chosen or All Creatures Great and Small. Like, that's not the kind of recommendation you get from me. So fair warning, it's a good show, but it's, it's real, it's earthy. And it captures a lot of what we might feel about how work can feel meaningless, whatever your career is. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the meaninglessness of work and how we can find meaning or purpose in our work. Whatever whatever your role is, whatever your job is, whatever your vocation is. And in order to do that, I want to read some scripture. I want to read first from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1 verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to read a single verse in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. These uh, verses are all printed in the worship guide. You can follow along there or follow along in your Bible if you brought one with you today. 
Here's what God's word says. It says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And then turning over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word, its richness, its diversity, how within it there are apparently such strange and contradictory passages. Help us today on this Labor Day Sunday think about work, think about whatever our vocation is and how that can um, be redeemed from meaninglessness by the truth of your gospel. We pray that uh, as I preach, our eyes would see Jesus, that our hearts would be compelled to love him, and that we would be reassured again of his great love for us. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we have this tradition here at City Church that on the Sundays of Labor Day weekend, we talk about faith and work. And often we uh, will bring in an outside voice, an outside preacher to give a sermon on this topic. But it's a topic that I really love. And so today you're stuck with me again. It's a topic that I've been thinking about for years and years, and we have tried to do different things here at City Church to help uh, connect the dots between the work that we do in the world and the work that God is doing through his mission and through his kingdom. And so the everyday doxologist that Julie shared earlier is one example of that, that every other month or so we want to hear from people in our congregation about the connection between their work and their faith, God's work in the world. Another thing that we've done in the past, and it sort of got tabled during COVID, but we're eager to resume it, is uh, we do faith and work lunches. These are lunches that often take place in a workplace, around a conference room table or somewhere else, where we simply ask a simple question that relates to how God um, sees our work, or how we can understand our work in light of our faith. 
We're going to be resuming those this fall, and our director of mentoring, J.B. Birch, is going to be coordinating those. If you're interested in that, if that's something that, um, as I say it, it piques your interest and you want to find out more, find J.B. after the service or send him an email or send me an email. We'd love to get you connected with that. The point is that um, God cares not just about the hour that we spend here in a sanctuary on Sunday. He cares about everything we do. And if the gospel is really true, it has meaning or um, it, it has cogency for the work that we do in, in every other aspect of our lives. So I, I say that by way of introduction because I think today's message has the potential to meet you in, in, in exactly what you feel. And so as I talk about work today, I want to talk about it under two headings. And the first is, is this. Uh, those times when your labor feels vain. Those times when your labor feels vain. I want to address that head on. But then secondly, I want to remind you, I want to tell you, I want, to, I want you to see how the Bible says your labor is not in vain. When your labor feels vain, your labor is not in vain. All right, so the first heading, when your labor feels vain, and this is what made me think of the, the TV show, The Bear, because in that TV show, it seems as though work is just drudgery, purposeless, meaningless, and, and the characters have different ways of dealing with it. Some of them deal with it uh, through uh, anti-depression medication. Some of, it, some of them don't deal with it so well and they end up with stomach ulcers that they're treating with antacids and other things. Some of them deal with it through alcohol or drugs and some of them deal with it through anger. You see, work is hard and labor feels vain and we have these different coping mechanisms, don't we? What's yours? What's your coping mechanism? But it's not just the TV show, The Bear. The, the reason that TV show resonates with me and it's resonated with a lot of the other people is because the examples of the, the, our labor feeling vain are, are myriad. They're, they're in the news, they're in the headlines. We talk about uh, and read about workplace toxicity. We've heard through COVID about the great resignation of all these people who said, uh, no way, I'm not going back to work forget about it. Now they're starting to talk about not the great resignation, they're talking about the great disengagement, where there's this, uh, um, this new movement of quiet quitting, where people are just sort of, they're still showing up at work, but they're not really working hard. They're disengaged from their work. Why? Because it all feels like it's being done in vain. Earlier this year, the New York Times had an article uh, that was uh, about the, the end of ambition, that we're in an age of anti-ambition now. And, and this kind of makes sense. You know, in COVID, we started labeling work. There was essential work and there was non-essential work. You remember that? And I don't know where your job or where your role fell, whether you were essential or non-essential, but people internalized that and they started to say, well, if my work is non-essential, why am I doing it? Why am I so stressed out about it? And this led to kind of a, a, a cratering of professional or vocational ambition, work 
feels like it's vain. Is any of this resonating with you? Do you feel this? Have you had these conversations? You know, when I was graduating from college 25 years ago, uh, it was a time of great ambition. And the dream job that people had was to, to make a lot of money, investment banking, or to be a lawyer, or to be in medicine, to be in business and climb the corporate ladder. Probably about 10 to 15 years after that, the dream job shifted from sort of that, that corporate path and that the ideal job was to work for a really cool nonprofit or NGO. That was the dream job that people graduated with. Now, the dream job? This article talks about uh, uh, someone asking a recent college grad, what's your dream job? And the snarky reply was, I'm sorry, but I don't dream about labor. And I think that captures this moment a little bit, this shift that's happening around work. And it's very easy to begin to think that all of this is a problem with modern work, the nature of work in uh, the 21st century. But that passage I read from Ecclesiastes, it shows us that it's not a problem with modern work. The problem is with human work. Ecclesiastes. It's not a very familiar book to many of us. It's hard to find in the Bible, first of all. And we probably haven't read it a whole lot. We don't know how to make sense of it. And that's just true not just for you and me, but it's true for a lot of commentators and scholars. They don't know how to peg this book. There's some who read Ecclesiastes and say, well, it's really pessimistic. You can get a sense of that from chapter 1. There are others who say, well, it's not so much pessimistic as realistic. It paints a realistic picture of what life under the sun in this fallen world, surrounded as we are by thorns and thistles, the curse against sin that Julie talked about. That's a realistic picture of the heartache that comes with work. And that realistic picture makes us long for something more. The fancy theological language for this is it makes us long for an eschatological hope. That is something one day that uh, can move us beyond what we're stuck in, this meaninglessness of work. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. And Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. You know who he was? He was king. King Solomon. He also wrote the Proverbs. A super wise king. Powerful had everything at his disposable, at disposal, could do anything he wanted in the world. And he writes this first chapter, Ecclesiastes 1, and he says, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. That makes us sit up and take notice. If this, the king, the wise King Solomon comes to that conclusion, well, what about us? And you see that word vanity is an important word. It's an important word in Ecclesiastes. In verse 2 that I read, it's used five times just in that one verse. And in the, the rest of the book, it's used a total of 29 times. Vanity. Literally, it means vapor. Smoke. A breath. It's saying all is just like a breath. You go outside on a cold morning and you exhale and you see your breath and in a moment it's gone. It disappears, it evaporates. All is vanity. 
it carries the uh, meaning of fleeting or elusive, but it also can mean unreliable or absurd, insubstantial, useless. Today we would say meaningless. All is meaningless. It's like trying to catch a cloud and hold on to it. It's that disappearing puff of smoke. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon isn't just talking about all of life being vanity, but he has a particular focus on work. That's what he's centering on in this first uh, chapter. He says in verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils? You see, work, vocation is on his mind. And this relates to us because we maybe uh, start out in our career and we think, yeah, this feels meaningless, but oh, wait till I get a different job. Wait till I get ahead a little bit in my career. Uh, let me get a few steps down in life. Get married and settle down, maybe have a family, move into a bigger house. Things will get better. And we just keep pushing the horizon a little bit further out. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Whereas Solomon concludes in verse 8, all things are full of weariness. Weariness. It's a word I've heard a lot of you use over the last two and a half years. I'm just exhausted. I'm weary. Again, in your job, in your family, in your relationships, maybe even in your life with God. Weariness and vanity. King Solomon, he's looking at his life, he's looking at the world, and he concludes, and this is just beyond the passage that we read in verse 14, it says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, and a striving after wind. Literally, it's a feeding on the wind. He looks at all of life, and he says, you know what it is? It's like swallowing air. If you're hungry, if you're starving, and you swallow air, it's completely not fulfilling. That's what Solomon's conclusion about life is. And it's not just the bear. It's not just Ecclesiastes. It's your life too, isn't it? It's your work. It's your school. It's your family. It's your relationships. It all feels like weariness. At work, some of you feel like you don't have any agency there. You're just a cog in the machine, pushing papers or clicking on spreadsheets. Vanity of vanity. You're doing work that doesn't matter, even if you're being paid handsomely for it. Have you ever felt that way? Or in your family, maybe especially if you have young kids, the way Julie was describing, every day feels like Groundhog Day, doesn't it? You wake up and it's another day of making meals and doing diapers and caring for people who can't care for themselves. You wake up and you wonder, do I really still love the person I'm married to? Vanity of vanities. You wake up and you find yourself fantasizing of a different job fantasizing of life without kids, fantasizing of different roommates, fantasizing of what life will be at some point. Vanity of vanity. So here's a fair question. 
Is Ecclesiastes, is the first part of this sermon just bad news? I think the answer to that depends. Because if it is validating what we have found to be true about our human experience, it can be the start of good news. If it makes us long, if it makes us look for something greater still. Something beyond the bounds of what we've considered up to this point. Right? Because what Solomon says here is vanity, it's all vanity. Life under the sun. Life in this world. But... What if our minds were open to something greater still? And that's where I want to turn now in the second part of this sermon. We've talked about when your labor feels vain. But the Bible says, at that point, your labor is not in vain. And there are a lot of places that we could turn in the Bible. In fact, the Bible as a whole, I think, establishes the value and the dignity of human work. On the very first pages, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see that God made us for work. But we see it crystallized so clearly in that verse from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, this is fascinating to me because that verse comes at the end of a famous chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15. It's one of Paul's greatest chapters in all of Scripture where he's reflecting on the resurrection. And we heard a lot of it read by Cayley uh, earlier in the service. And, and often this verse is just sort of pulled out of context. It's the kind of verse, it's a great verse, right? It's maybe a, a verse that you would see on Instagram, spotlighted. But we miss the larger context of the, the chapter. In 1 Corinthians 15, it is about the resurrection, but in that uh, chapter, Paul is also He's, he's talking a lot about work, his vocation. We see this um, earlier in the chapter. It's in verse 10. He says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. You hear that language? On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. He's thinking about his work, and he's thinking about how God's grace makes it so that it's not in vain. He goes on in the passage that Kaylee read, he's talking about, is, our, is my preaching in vain? Is our faith futile? Are we most of all to be pitied? He's asking these questions, these deeply human questions, these questions that Solomon was asking on Ecclesiastes. The questions that you're asking in your honest moments of your life. And the way he answers these questions is directly related to the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Now that seems strange. How can that work out? Because when we think about the resurrection, we usually just think, well, that means I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And that's true, but there's more to what the resurrection means, and that's the whole point of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is trying to open up our minds 
to the bigger purpose and meaning of the resurrection. You see, for Paul, the resurrection holds the key to our work not being in vain. For our work now not being meaningless. It's connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, the beginning of verse 58, he says, therefore. Right? This is the conclusion. He's just spent 57 verses talking about the resurrection, that it's real, that Christ is read, raised, that uh, we have victory over sin. And he says, therefore. And what would you expect to follow the therefore? Therefore, put your feet up. Your future's secure. You're going to be with God in heaven. That might be what you expect. It's not what he says. Paul says, therefore, roll up your sleeves and get to work because your labor is not in vain. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity in life under the sun. But when our minds are open to the resurrection glory, the new heavens and the new earth of which Christ is the first fruit, suddenly our work, your work, every day, it moves from the mundane to the magnificent. It's infused with the power and the meaning of the gospel. See, the resurrection reveals that both our destiny and the destiny of the world is far greater than what we ever imagined. And that what is true of Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection, will be true of us as well. It's a, it's a preview. We're seeing in Christ what will be true of all of us. So the resurrection means that your present life, the work you do, isn't in vain. Even if you die. Even when you die. Because the resurrection says, God will raise you and God will redeem your work just as he already has raised Christ and vindicated his work. Your work matters. What you do each day matters. I want you to notice something else about verse 58, right? It says, therefore, and then it says, my beloved brothers and sisters. I'm so glad Paul put that part in there too, right? Because he's, before he's reminding us that our work is not in vain, he's telling us that we are beloved, that God's love rests on us. And it is out of our belovedness, it is out of the grace that he has poured out on us through Jesus Christ that we can work faithfully, steadfastly, immovably, abundantly. All the work that we do and whatever your vocation is as a student, as an intern, as an analyst, as the boss, as a mom, it's rooted in your belovedness by God the Father. The final episode of The Bear, and I'm going to avoid spoiler alerts, don't worry. At least mostly avoid them. In the final episode of The Bear, there's a hint of hope. After this stressful, anxiety-riddled uh, show, we finally get some hope in the final episode. And you know how that hope comes? It comes through forgiveness, it comes through forgiveness, and it's not a Christian show. Don't, don't hear me wrong. 
But I think for those of us with eyes to see, those of us who do know the gospel story, as we see even these hints of forgiveness, we can see the power of the resurrection in changing work from being meaningless to becoming meaningful. You see, it's the resurrection that guarantees to us that our sins are covered. And the fact that our sins are covered, that there's an assurance of pardon, allows us to to forgive and to be forgiven. It opens up the possibility that we begin to work steadfastly, immovably, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It means that we now can begin to do redeemed work because our work is going to endure into the new heavens and the new earth. So fitfully and partially, we can begin to do work that is patterned on the restored work of the resurrection. We can get started doing work like making meals. Like the The team at the restaurant and the bear, that's what they did. They began to make meals and serve hungry people. And you can too. Whether it's a literal meal or a figurative meal. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. Work done now through the power of the resurrected Christ in the Holy Spirit is a first fruit of heaven. That's, what the res- that's how the resurrection changes our work. As we work faithfully, we are signaling heaven. We are offering for all to see what our destiny in the resurrection life is all about. One of the pastors and theologians who's been super helpful for me in understanding the resurrection is a guy named N.T. Wright. He's a British theologian. He's written this book called Surprised by Hope. And I read it about 15 years ago and it changed my entire outlook on the resurrection and on the meaningfulness of our work now in light of the resurrection. And what he does is he says that the work you're doing now because of the resurrection of Christ, it's not like playing the violin on a sinking ship. Your labor is not in vain. It's not like oiling the wheels of a car that's just going to careen off a cliff one day. Your labor is not in vain. It's not like uh, salting a delicious Italian beef sandwich that's just going to be thrown into the trash can. Your labor is not in vain. I want to end by reading uh, a paragraph from this book that I think captures the point of what I've been trying to say in this message. He says this, that in light of the resurrection, every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of His creation, every minute spent teaching, a child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support, 
for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer and all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. God's recreation of his wonderful world, which began with the resurrection of Jesus and continues mysteriously as God's people live in the risen Christ and the power of his spirit, means that what we do in Christ and by the spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. Friends, your labor is not in vain. The resurrection proves that to us. The world wants to tell us meaningless, meaningless. It's all vanity, like swallowing air. But the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead shows us that our work is infused with great meaning. Therefore, My beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Gracious Father, help us to see the wonder and the power of the resurrection today and how it changes not only our future, but how it changes our present, at least how we think about our present and what will endure and be redeemed. Father, we're so grateful for Christ, that he suffered on our behalf, that he was raised from the dead, and that he is the first fruit of glory. Turn our eyes now to him and sustain us in our efforts of work as we look to him and are filled with his spirit, the Holy Spirit, that you have given to us so generously. We pray this for our good, for the good of our city, and for the glory of your great name. Amen.